You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. All right, let's just, uh, everybody thank the Lord for air conditioning. Isn't that a good thing? I mean, some of you go way back to you remember when cars didn't have air conditioning. And uh, young people like me, why are you laughing? Young people like, like, we don't know what that's like. We had to like drive just the windows down and stuff. And then you go to a developing nation and you're like, oh my goodness, this is what it's like all over the world. We are so blessed. We're blessed to be in a place where we have air conditioning. It's going to be a hot week, but it's going to be a great week. And it's going to be a great opportunity for you to invite some friends out, maybe for 4th of July, whatever is your tradition on that day, and have a great time. And I hope that along the way that you have some opportunity just to invite those people to church as you're interacting with them and just let them know that there is hope in their circumstances and in their lives. Um, I want you to realize something. Behind every question is the issue of trust. When a parent says to his or her daughter, uh, where were you last night and what did you do? Uh, they're trying to build a groundwork of trust so that they can, the information so they can trust where you, where you said you would be and doing what you said you would do and, and you need to know. And other times when you have information that you need, you, you ask financial questions to an advisor and you ask them questions. You're saying, before I put in my money, before I invest in this way, I need to know certain gauges, I need to know certain metrics <clears throat> so that I can trust that I'm going to make an investment, I'm going to give my money. And there are seven questions in the book of Malachi that people ask God. But behind all those questions, really at the core, really at the heart, really at the base innermost part of us is the issue of trust. Do you trust God? A lot of people, blanket-wise, would say, I trust God. I just trust him. Of course I do. I just, and that's a kind of common statement that people say, well, just, just trust God with that. Just trust God. But the truth is, on the inside, we're control freaks. And we like to control things. And, and the people come, and they ask God, how have you loved us? The first question they ask is, how have you loved us? And God demonstrates his love for the people in that book, as we looked in the first week. There's other questions that they ask, but I believe that over the next few weeks, God wants your life to be challenged. I believe that God wants to assure you of his love. And he wants to challenge your disobedience. It's both and. That the people of Israel in this day, they were falling away, they were wandering away from God, and they had questions of God. They were like, God, we're going to put you on trial. We've got some heart questions we need to ask you, because we're not sure that we trust you. And the beautiful thing is that God takes these seven questions out of the book of Malachi that people ask him, and he uses those same questions back at the people to refine them. He wants to assure them that I love you. I do love you right now. I will always love you in the future. I love you. And yet, I want to challenge your disobedience. Now, let me tell you, I believe your life needs to be challenged. I believe it's easy for us to just live with business as usual. I believe it's easy for us to adopt to the values and the beliefs and the conditions of our culture. But today, I believe that God wants to challenge you. But here's my fear. I mean, honestly, I, I, I think the danger of today's message is this. The danger is that you're going to listen to things today, and you're going to stop up your ears, and you're going to make today's message all about you. 
You're going to hear what we're going to talk about today, and you're going to, like a little kid sticking their fingers in their ears going, la, 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 I don't hear you, that you're going to make today's message all about you, all about your hurt, all about your family, all about your situation, all about your tears that you've had, all about things that have been going on in your life. You're going to want to make it all about you today, and in doing so, you're going to block out God's gentle voice in your heart because you want to make it all about you. But here's my hope. My hope is that you would experience what it really means to trust God. What does it mean to trust God and his word with your current relationship? What does it mean to trust God with your future relationship? You're saying, Lord, it's taking forever. When's this going to happen? And when's the right person going to come along? Are you going to trust God with a future relationship? Are you going to trust God with your marriage, whether your marriage is in the sweet spot or a difficult spot, whether you feel distant or close, like a sound wave? That's what marriages do, right? There are seasons of both. Are you going to trust God with that? My hope is that you would understand and experience firsthand the benefits of dating God's way, of being married God's way, of relating to one another God's way, and experiencing what it means to trust each other because you're forming a foundation built on God's word. My hope is that you would trust God to actively take care for others beyond yourselves, to care for those who are oppressed, those who are marginalized, those who are the outcast. But again, the danger is, my fear would be that you would hear today's message and maybe some of the difficult things God was saying to the people then that he's also saying to us now and that you'll stop up your ears and you'll drown out God's voice because you elevate your position above his authority. So here's what I want to do today. Will you just simply, where you are in your seat, will you just simply ask God to teach you today? To say, God, I want to hear from you. I have my own opinions, but today, God, I believe you brought me here. I want to hear from you personally. And will you just ask? And then when we pray, a lot of times we pray in a long monologue, right? I don't know, have anybody else in here pray and you have a problem with prayer because I do all the talking and it's harder to listen to God? Oh, it's just me. I see how it is. I need some of you to come up here and teach today. We have that problem. So today we're going to ask God, God, help me to hear what it is you want me to hear today. Will you bow your heads? We're just going to take a quiet moment. If you're here today and you don't pray, you're not a believer, you don't know what this is all about, all you got to do is look down, close your eyes, have like a very concentrated look on your face, and we'll be done in just a minute. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then what I want you to do today is I want you just for a moment to simply ask God, God, what would you have me hear today? Help me not to get in the way of what you want to say to me. Will you pray that? God, we want to increase our trust in you. And all too often we look at our lives and we realize you have always been trustworthy and it's us who have been unfaithful. It's we who have broken trust. It's we who have violated the trust that you give to us, God. And we're so thankful for your son, Jesus, that lets us approach you with confidence, with his forgiveness. And so we're so thankful, God, for that. Teach us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the book of Malachi, there are seven questions. I address the first one. The people ask, how have we loved you? And God demonstrates to the nation of Israel how he's loved them as compared to some other nations. And he assures them of his love. But then, we looked at last week, 
they ask this question, how have we shown contempt for your name? Question number two, but number three is right there tucked in with it. It says this, how have we defiled you? And God says, listen, you've defiled me because you've been giving me leftovers. You've been giving me, you know, these, these tithes. You've been giving me these offerings of your abilities, your talents, your, your, your heart. You've been giving me the leftovers. You have perfectly good abilities to use, but you've been holding them to yourself. You've been keeping them to yourself, and you've not been giving those to me. And now God not only wants to deal with our trust, and he not only wants to deal with our talents, but now today he wants to deal with our talk. With our talk, he wants to deal with with your words and my words. If you have your Bible, open with me to Malachi chapter 2, beginning with verse 17. Malachi the prophet says this. He says to the people, you have wearied the Lord with your words. And the people ask, how have we wearied him? Right? So the, here the prophet comes and he says, hey, listen, everybody, you have wearied God with your words. And they're like, what are you talking about? How have we wearied God with our words? We don't understand. Well, today I want you to know that God wants you and me to know that there is truth. God wants you to me and know that there is something greater than your opinion on any given matter. There is something greater than political vote. There's something greater than majority rule. And God himself is greater than what practices are going on in our culture things that our culture would want us to get on board and adopt. God is greater than those things, and truth can be known. Listen, he wants you to know that God's opinion is always truth. Could you imagine that? You say, I have an opinion, and could you imagine how great it would be if your opinion was always truth? Like, how great would that be, right? You'd be right in every argument. You'd be right all the time. You would never be wrong. People would come to you because your opinion is always truth. It's never been, how many of you in this room have been wrong just even once? Okay, right there, we've just validated that you and I are not God. Because if you've been wrong once, you're not God. God is always true. He is always right. His very core, his nature is truth. He's never not been true. He is always true. He is, it's factual. His opinion is realistic. His opinion is right in every way. Always God has been right. And that's why he is God, and that's why you and I are not. You and I, we need God. So here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, it's all about God. Okay, now say it with meaning. Real meaning, right? It really is all about God. It is. At the end of the day, he is right. He is truth. God is love. God is just. But they ask this question. The prophet comes and says, you've been wearying God with your words. They're like, how have we wearied you? If you're taking notes today on your outline, point number one, how do you weary God? By talk that justifies you living for yourself. When your talk justifies you living and acting and doing what you do, when you begin to justify your actions, even though your opinion begins to disagree with God's truth, you weary God with your words. God is always right. God always speaks what is true. People, on the other hand, right, we always have an opinion. Ask me on anything, I will probably try to come up with an opinion on anything you ask, right? That's the way we work. Like, we think, like, we should have an opinion on everything. And if we don't, we will form it right then, and we'll bring it right to the forefront, because we just, that's what we do, right? 
We always have an opinion. People are constantly looking for loopholes for selfish gain and listening to a false god. You want to know what his name is? There's a false god that appeals to every single one of us in this room. And that false god's name is As I Please. You and I do as we please. God, I know you say this, but my opinion is as I please. God, I know that I should live in certain ways, but again, your, your opinion, that, that's great for you, God, but I'm going to worship another God. Instead of the true God, the always right God, the living God, the one true God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship as I please, which really is worshiping ourselves. So in Malachi chapter 2, verse 11, Malachi is addressing from the words of God how the nation has been defiling him. And, and one of the ways is in our talk, but one of the ways is that they were bringing the leftovers. One of the ways is that the priesthood had become corrupt in that day. One of the ways is that the behavior of the people had been becoming corrupt. And so he says this in Malachi 2, verse 11, Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah, which is a tribe of Israel, Judah has desecrated the sanctuary of the, the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. Let me pause right there. He's not criticizing someone who marries a foreign person. But in that day and age, they were the people of God. The Jewish race were the people of God. And other nations corporately followed other gods, false gods. And so when marriage would happen, God knows the heart. That the influence would happen that you might marry outside of the nation. And in doing so, he's not talking about race in that moment at all. He doesn't care. But he's talking about your heart, my heart being wooed to a false god. And those who don't know God, and so they begin to compromise their love for God, one of their ways, by marrying outside. He goes on and says this in verse 12, As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears, and you weep and you wail because he no longer looks at favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask, Why? It's because the Lord is witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. What God is saying here is that he's saying, you don't trust me. You don't trust my way. You don't trust my institution. You don't trust what is right. You don't trust it for your own benefit. And it's showing up in different ways. It's showing up in different experiences. And, and God is giving them a picture that, that his marriage is such a beautiful picture of God's relationship with people. That he makes a covenant with them, and we the people violate the covenant. But God says, because of my vows, because of my lasting love, I will continue to love and pursue you, even though you've been unfaithful. He's saying, you've done that as a nation. But not only that, but it's showing up 
in the way that you marry. It's showing up and you getting rid of the marriage, the vows you made before God. You're throwing that away. And again, if you have been through a divorce, if you are a divorced person, if you have been considering a divorce, God wants to speak and reassure you of his love here today. And if you're considering divorce, God wants to make you carefully consider it according to his word and his way, not people's opinion, not your own opinion. God loves you. And he's clear that when God takes two and he makes them one, so often we can't undo what God has made one, we can't make it two, right? We think we can. You maybe follow after somebody else, you get involved in another relationship, but you still have all those relational things still dragging along behind you. You still have yourself and your weaknesses to deal with that you want run into a new relationship with, right? So be on your guard. He says it twice. Why does he say it twice? Because it's really important. Be on your guard, it means take heed for your spirit, is another way to translate it. You say, well, what does that mean? Take heed to your spirit. This is what God's saying. God's saying, listen up. Pay attention. Guard your heart. It's your heart that's really at stake here. The symptoms are that you're marrying outside and you're marrying people who don't believe and they're, they're causing you to follow believing just self or believing in false worship. You're doing what you want on your own. And you say, listen up, before you do these things, these things are all the symptoms of the heart condition. The heart condition is guard your heart. God loves you. And it's your heart which is really at stake. Your heart is being wooed. Your heart is being drawn away from God. Let me tell you, in the television programs you watch, in the books that you read, in the majority opinion in our culture, in the mass behavior of many people, your heart is attempting to be wooed away from the things of God. And God says, listen, even if the whole culture goes that way as it did in Israel's day, I am still right. There is still truth. And I love you. Well, why does God love marriage? You say, marriage is hard. Anybody in here ever found that marriage is hard? It is. It's one of the deepest things you can do, in it, but it's also one of the hardest things you can do. And, and Heather and I are married. We've had 22 years. And, and there are times that it is just difficult. There are times it's like a sound wave. Times you feel distant, and then times you feel close. And other times you feel distant. And some of those distant times feel very distant, very long. But God loves marriage. Why? God loves marriage for what it displays about his relationship with us. That God says, while you were my enemies... Christ died for you. And God's saying, I'm making a lifelong, forever love commitment to you. And if you put your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, we will forever have that unbreakable relationship. Even though you've sinned, even though I have every right under my wrath to condemn you for your sin and to punish you for your sin, I love you and I will extend myself to you. That's what God says. That when we've been unfaithful, he keeps his vow. And he's saying, I will do whatever it takes to redeem the people of Israel. I will do whatever it takes to buy you back from the, the consequences of sin and buy you back through the blood of Jesus on the cross. That's why God became flesh, lived a perfect life in Jesus, and then died on the cross for your sin and my sin. And if we put our faith and trust in it, he cancels it out forever. God says, that's how I love you. Even though you didn't care. Even though you do as you please, I still love you. God loves marriage because it's a picture 
between a man and a woman of what it displays about his relationship with us. The problem is we get in our culture in a consumer mentality, don't we? You get a cell phone and then you don't like your cell phone or you're getting drop calls or you don't like the service or you think that they're billing you too much and giving you little fees that are ridiculous. And so, so we have a consumer mentality. Hey, if I'm not receiving... I'm investing here. I pay every month. If I'm not receiving the benefit of what I've invested, then what you do? You take the penalty. You chuck the phone. You go with the new service. You find one better. We have a consumer mentality. And our culture does that with marriage. We walk into a marriage and we say, here's on this side of the list is what I'm bringing to the table. And here's what you're not doing on this side of the list. And you, you begin to, you know, if you were in a counseling situation, you sit there and say, look, these are all the things that he or she is doing. And then on the other side, they'd be, well, what's been your part in it? Well, I had, the, I had this little part right here. And we always try to make ourselves look better, don't we? Like, like I was the innocent party. I, I didn't do much. I, you know, and, and, and what a, counsel, a good counselor will do? They'll rip that page in half and say, you can't, you can't worry about what that person did. You have no control over that, as a matter of fact. All you can control is your part in it. But we have a consumer mentality. We want to deny our part in it. We have a consumer mentality, and we want to make it all about us. God loves marriage for the good that it does in society. I mean, it really does. It's interesting. When I, when I officiate a wedding, there's two things that happen. I don't know if you're aware of that, but there's two things that happen when a person gets married. The pastor will ask questions of intent. Do you and do you? And they'll, they'll list that out. And, and the people turn to the pastor and they say, I do. And, you know, you think you say, I do to the other person. You're actually saying, I do in front of people. What's happening is you're saying, will you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? And, you know, and then, will you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? And they look at the pastor and they say, I do. And what they've done, they've just made a promise of love. They've made a promise among people, and it's love, right? That's what got them to the altar in the first place, right? They love each other. They're like, I can't imagine this thing ever falling apart. I love you, of course. These feelings are huge, and, and of course, why wouldn't they be? Because when you get in a relationship with a person, about the first two, three years, you love it because they love you like you love you. They worship you like you worship you, and it's great! I have just doubled my worship, me and the person who now loves me, right? But you get three or more years into it, and all of a sudden you go, oh, they don't, they don't worship me like I worship me anymore. And the problem is each person keeps worshiping themselves, but they start taking notes on how the other person isn't worshiping them any longer. Do you see what's happened here? You get into marriage because of love. But there's another thing that happens in that marriage ceremony. It's called law. That you make vows. You've just now said, I do, in front of all the people. But then you turn and face each other and you hold hands. And before God and these witnesses, you now make vows to loving that person forever. There is a law. And what happens is this. In a consumer mentality, we say, well, I got into it for love, but I don't look at the law. I didn't read the fine print. I didn't look at the part that says, till death do you part, even though I repeated it or I said it, right? And so what happens is, what happens in a marriage is you're going along and, and, and when you're in love, you feel close, that's great, but there are those times you feel distant, times you sin against each other, times you fall short because you're human and I'm human, times that we absolutely make mistakes and we actually, you know, do violence against the person that we should love, right? That's how God described it. And what happens in those times when you feel distance, the thing that keeps you together is the law. 
The love is coming back, but it's the law. It's the saying, I commit to you. I made vows before you, and our culture doesn't get that. That in order to have trust in a relationship, you need love, but you also need law. Our culture wants to say, it's all about love, and let's forget about the law. And I'm not talking about legal things. I'm talking about the vows you make before God. For you to walk your life like God said to walk your life. God loves marriage for the good that it does in society. God loves marriage for the ways that it meets the needs that he created in men and in women and obviously in children. If you are a son or a daughter, adult son or daughter of divorce, you know what that experience did to you. When, when the husband or the wife said, we're done, you know as a child what that did in terms of your security. God loves marriage because it builds security. God loves marriage because it conforms us to empty ourselves and live more in the image of Jesus. Why? Because I'm to lay myself down as a husband and live caring for the interests of my wife. That we are mutually to submit to one another. That we are a model of Christ laying down his life for the church. That's one of the reasons God loves marriage. It's for that picture. But we carry a consumer mentality into it. And some of you right now in your heart, you're like, I don't like this church. I don't like this. I don't like what you're saying right now. You can say, I'm going to go to some other church where we don't have to read the Bible. <laughs> okay, good for you. God's saying, my word doesn't change. You can go to any church you want. My word stays the same. God is always true. He wants you and I to be in the word. And God loves marriage because it's the centerpiece of family. And he wants parents and kids to worship the one true God. It's interesting that in this accusation, God makes this weird statement. He, he says, you know, you've been unfaithful, you're doing this, and what does the one God desire? The one God desires godly offspring. You're like, well, that's like new information to Christianity, because, you know, if you think of certain other religions, you think, well, they're supposed to have like a big family, or they just have as many kids as possible, and you think that's just part of the mark of that religious belief. But here you see God saying, listen, I want godly offspring. What does that mean? It means that he wants parents and kids to worship the one true God. So how do we do that? If you're taking notes today, number two in your outline, God desires parents to do everything they can to raise children with a godly worldview. What's a worldview? It's saying that my children, whether they've decided to follow Christ or not, through any opportunity, they are taking the world's opinion, the culture's opinion, the way of their life, and they're going to breathe, breathe it right through the word of God. They're going to look at that, and they're going to see, how does the word of God actually impact my living? Do I understand right and wrong? Do I understand who the Lord is? Now, parents, you and I both know, you and I cannot control if our son or our daughter falls in love with Jesus. The scriptures tell us to raise your children in the Lord. The scriptures don't just say, hey, raise your children. Get through 18 years and send them out the door. Just do your job. Just be done with it. Woo! Give them all sorts of experiences, sports and everything else, right? He didn't just say raise your children. He said raise them in the Lord. So that requires participation on our part, parents. I want you to understand that we want to give the child every chance to put their faith in Jesus and follow him. So the church and the family, we'll work together to do that. You say, I don't know how to do that. Well, you say, we'll come alongside you and help you do that. It's not saying I'm outsourcing religious education to my church. No, it's saying, parents, you raise your children in the Lord. 
as long as they're in your house, as long as they live there, as long as they're not over 18 and paying rent, they should be coming to church with you. I want you to hear that, see? Something, hang on, hang on. I want you to hear that because in our, in our culture, our culture says, no, no, I, I'm, I'm going to harm them. I need to give them freedom. Well, that's like me telling my son, asking him at like age 13, hey, son, do you want to drive the car? He'd be like, yes! He's not ready to drive the car. He can't actually reach the pedals and the wheel and see over the dash when you're 13 and you're a male in the Flake family. It just doesn't happen. But he would want to. We don't always give our children what they want. We give our children what's best for them. And so what happens is we come along and say, listen, we're to raise our children in the Lord. And the church comes alongside to help you shape those values and set the date. What are we doing? We're creating the condition by which your child might just fall in love with Jesus. You can't force them to fall in love. You can't make them fall in love. We understand that. But we're going to do everything we can to set the date where they just might fall in love with Jesus. Let me give you a practical way. Parents, you're like, okay, that's a huge, you just unleash a huge thing on me. How do I practically do it? Let me tell you something. If you read one chapter of scripture at breakfast, even if they're scrambling, getting ready for school, and you read one chapter at bedtime, in a year and a half, you have read through the whole Bible with your children. It's not that hard to help them understand a Christian worldview. And you're going to learn about God and his heart and his opinion along the way. It's not that difficult, but you have to be intentional, even about doing that. And we'll come along and walk with you. See, God's opinion in this culture, Malachi, as he's talking to the people, God's opinion was not a priority. People were doing business as usual, much like in our culture. And to the people of God, this is what was happening. To the people of God, those who were not godly were looking pretty hot. Those who were not godly were looking pretty attractive. The ways that the people who were not godly were living was looking pretty tempting to the people of God. And so they started to walk away. Their heart started to walk away from the true God that they know now loves them, but they've decided to follow as I please. Listen, and I've got some things to say to you, and if you are here today and you are not a Christ follower, you're not a Christian, you're our guest today, you're here, we're so glad you're here, you're in exactly the right place to be, but I want to let you know, I'm, I'm going to let you, if you're not a Christian, you're off the hook for some of the things I'm about to say. You're just off the hook. I got to tell you something, how many of you have ever seen like a believer who's following their passion for the Lord, and then, and then a, a boy or a girl comes along, and they start dating, and they start to wander away. How many of you have seen that happen to somebody that you know? How many of that was you? Come on, be honest. Maybe for a season, right? There has been those times. Well, I've got to tell you something. Listen, for every she-devil, there's a he-dummy. There is. Right? For every bad girl out there, there's some guy who's okay, I think she's great, walks in water. For every nightmare guy out there, there's a naive girl. It's the way it works. And God wants better for you. God wants better. Listen, if you're a single person and you're a Christ follower, then you should never date or marry anyone who's not fully devoted to Christ. That's a hard statement I just said for some of you. You might be sitting next to somebody like that, right? That might be a tough thing. 
Listen, if, if you were to meet me and you were to meet your, maybe your t- this person to meet your parents and, and you were to almost apologetically say, well, yeah, I'm dating them a little, oh, oh are, are they a Christian? And if you had to say, well, well not yet or not really or I'm, I'm just not sure, uh, if you say that, what you're basically saying is the person I'm dating or the person I'm engaged to, the person that, that I'm, I'm living with or the person that I'm marrying, they are worshiping a false god and I'm okay with that. And oftentimes that person's false god is themselves. And if they're lost, if they don't know God, that's the nature, right? That's the nature of everyone. We are all lovers of self. Regardless, that person is going to draw your heart away from the one to God. And this is what God's saying this morning. He's saying, listen, pay attention. It's your heart that is at stake. It's your heart. And I want you to worship the one true God. I want to assure you of my love, but I also want to deal with your disobedience. I want to address that. And some of you are saying, come on, Dave, like that is not realistic. Like dating only Christians, have you seen what choices are out there? And and, and you keep saying all these kind of things. But let me tell you, remember, people always have an opinion. People are constantly looking for loopholes for selfish gain. People always listen to a false god named As I Please. That's what they do. Do you know that this false God, as I please, as I please, misrepresents God all the time? Are you aware of that? Have you ever been misrepresented in here? You've been misunderstood? How many of you, your word has been taken out of context? You got together with people later on, and you're like, that is not what I said, or that is not how I said it because it got all twisted? I mean, believe me, uh, I'm a pastor, and uh, in, in my line of work, it's easy for what I say to get misunderstood, isn't it? It just is, because we're always going to hear the word of God through our filter, our hurt, our wounds, our selves, and sometimes we make it all about us. It's hard to get misunderstood, but the God of as I please misrepresents the one true God. Malachi 2, 17, here was the accusation. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? And here's the part I didn't give you earlier. Here's the answer. How would we weary God? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? See, what was happening here is that these people were not personally doing what is just and right, nor were they helping those who were victims of injustice. We were taking notes today. Number three, right there. They weren't personally helping, doing what is right, and they were not helping those who were victims of injustice. See, God says, listen, here's how you weary me with your words. You weary me with your words when you say what I say is evil. You just are like, it's all good. It's all good. Just whatever. It's all good. And God loves you anyway. When you say that, God's like, you're, that's, you're misrepresenting me. You're saying that my love outweighs my law. My love outweighs my justice. God is both, 100% both. He's saying, when I died on the cross and you say it's all good, you're spitting on that. You're mocking that. Malachi goes on, he says this. In chapter 3, verse 2, he says, but who can endure the day of his coming? He's speaking of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. 
let me pause right there. I want you to understand something. That sounds like all that doom and gloom kind of stuff. And let me tell you, if you read the book of Revelation at the end, you'll see God come. And there will be those who've never followed God, who've never given him regard, who had never followed Jesus. And they will be in opposition to him and God wins. And he judges. There is no question about that. But I want you to understand that Malachi is speaking to the people of Israel, to the people of God. And he's saying, hey, listen, Christians, listen, people of God. He's going to come like a refiner's fire. He's going to come like a launderer's soap. He's going to come as a cleanser. He's going to come as one who cleans, not one who destroys. And I want you to know that's what God wants to do with you. He's saying, I want to assure you of my love, but I also want to address your disobedience. I'm going to come as one who cleans, but sometimes I clean through the fire. Sometimes I come and you're going to go through enough hard experiences till where you finally say, okay, God, I'm going to do it your way. I'm so tired of doing it mine. Verse 3, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites. Those were the priests, the pastors of the day. He will refine them, starts with them, like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come, listen, and put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Saying you're doing all these things, all these wicked things, you're doing exactly as you please, but in your heart you show no regard for me. God says, I will come, I will judge you and praise be to god because in the new testament christ is the fulfillment of all the old testament law in christ all the wrath of god all the anger we see all the judgment we see of god in the old testament is poured out on the person of jesus and he he takes it on the cross as god himself the full wrath of god being completely consistent with himself him saying in love i'm going to bear the consequence of the law and when you and I put our faith and our trust in what Jesus did on our cross, all our sins are washed away. Thank you, Lord. But God still says, I love you, I love you, but I love you too much to leave you where you are. The other thing that people were doing is they were ignoring. They didn't care about the poor. In fact, they were taking advantage of it. They would have laborers who would work and they wouldn't pay them. They would have people who were poor and oppressed and they wouldn't show them any regard. It would like my, all my resources, all my talents, all my energy. It's all about me. It's not about any of the people in, you know, across the world or believers even across the world in other countries who need our help. It wasn't about any of that. It's all about me and mine. They were ignoring the widow. They were ignoring the fatherless. And one of the things I love about Sun Grove Church is the heart, because the building's not the church, we're the church, we're the people, and the heart of us as people, for those who just are in the least of these, those who are oppressed, those who are in poverty, those who need help, those, the generosity of this church is awesome, and I love that, because what we're doing when we do that, we're simply reflecting the heart of God, and if you don't understand the mission of our church, we exist, not just for ourselves, but for the world, and so when we exist to love, we exist to set the date for people to hear the love of Jesus, then we are representing God's heart toward us. I want to invite up a couple of friends who just went on the Mission Mexico trip. Actually, we have a video here first. We're going to play that, and they'll come up right after. Will you watch the screen?
Awesome. Will you please welcome up Lisa Choice and Skylar Horn. Come on up. Come on, guys. Come on forward here. Come on forward with me. There you go. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about the work you guys were doing down there in Mexico. Um, so we worked with a ministry group called Agua Viva, and we went down to Ensenada and tried to just put up walls for a worship place for Arbol de Olivo. It's a you, church there. Yeah, so they needed places to be able to worship God. Yeah. Awesome, you guys are building that. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And then we worked with kids throughout the week doing VBS and just played soccer with them and just had a great time. So who was better? Were they better at soccer or were you better at soccer? <laughs> I think it was equal. Pretty equal. All right, guy, <laughs> know, guy who knows his abilities, well done. Awesome. Tell me what, like, going down there, maybe for both of you guys, just uh, maybe some of the stories you heard just of people and what they're going through down there just even to share the gospel. Uh, one of the most pressing stories that we heard was about a guy, I think it was his wife too, that were in a village, their home village, and they were Christians, and they were actually persecuted and forced out of their homes out, and they found refuge in Agua Viva, and they equipped them with the word of God, just teaching them, and then they actually went back into their village, wow. and now like over half their town is Christian. Wow, yeah. that's awesome. And then, Lisa, you went with your family. So Skylar here went as a young adult, but you went with your family. What kind of bonding was that for you and your family? Just what kind of experience did that happen for you guys? Well, you know, for my son, uh, I really wanted him to experience another side of God. And yes. uh, I think I was really excited to see that, that he was growing. And even when he came home, he says, you know, we've got to pray. Everything, we've got to pray. And I thought, wow, he never said that before. You know, he needed... He knew God needed to be more a part of his life. Yeah. And that's what I saw in him. And then you were out. telling me, too, just a little bit about some of the joy that you would see in people down there. Will you kind of just elaborate on that? Um, in Ensenada, you know, family is everything. And you could feel it. You could feel that everybody in the community was family. You can sense that there's just, just a strong... I guess, desire to share the gospel with the whole community. And, and I love that about the pastor there. Yeah. He had such a genuine faith. And I thought, wow, how come I can't have that? But, you know, I realized from just preparing, I kept saying, more of you, less of me, more of you, less of me. And I said, by the end of the week, I said, I got it wrong. It's all of you, none of me. And... That's what I realized about the people there. It was all about God and how they just wanted to share the gospel. So I loved that. Awesome. Well, thanks as a young adult. Thank you as taking your family, that you and others who are here in the church went down and just helped out there. We give a hand up for these guys. Thank you so much. God wants to assure you of his love, and he wants to challenge your disobedience, and he died to forgive us of all our sin. And picture this for just a moment. Picture this, how easy it is for us to misrepresent God. He died to forgive you and I of all our sin. But when you and I embrace culture, and when we say to culture, hey, it's all good. Even though you do evil, you're all good, and, and it, it, God is pleased with you. When our talk applauds what God hates, we weary God with our words. When an online status applauds what God hates, we weary God with our words. 
And God's saying, listen, in the New Testament, he says, we can have full confidence, come directly to the throne, and approach God with full confidence. But i got to let you know that that freedom came at the cost of Christ taking our sin for the times that, even in the New Testament context, we would have wearied God with our words, because we do as I please. So I want you to understand something. Number four in your outline, God is loving and God will judge. God is loving and God will judge. See, again, for him, it's that I love you. I love you. I'm loving. But it's also the law part. It's also the vow part. I have made a vow to you. And even if you're unfaithful to your vows, I'm still going to be completely consistent, even at the cost of my own comfort, my own life, to die on the cross for your sin. I am both going to be loving and I'm going to be, I'm going to be the judge. I'm going to be just. We read in the New Testament, I believe the Apostle Paul wrote Hebrews, and he says this in chapter 13, verse 1. It's almost like he was taking the, the text out of Malachi. He says this, he says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters, so Christians loving each other. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison, as if you were together with them in prison, and those who were mistreated as if you yourself were suffering. Again, not all about us, but living for others. And then he says in verse 4, listen, marriage should be honored by who? Listen, marriage should be honored by all. He goes on to explain that. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral, I believe that in this room there are those who've committed adultery. I believe in those in this room there are those who are sexually immoral right now. I believe that in this room there are many who have wandered away into our culture. And I want you to know that God assures you of his love and he loves you too much to leave you there. He wants to say, come back, it's your heart that's at stake. Come back to me. Yes, I will judge. Yes, I will deal with these things. But he wants to assure you of his love. His great love that says, I love you so much that I stretched my arms out and died an innocent man's death to take the sin of the guilty, which is all of us. And God says, take heed for your spirit. Take heed to your heart. It's your heart that is at stake. And I want to assure you of my love, but I want to challenge your disobedience. And God is saying, return to me. Come back to me. I believe. <laughs> that God wants you today to know that he loves you. He has, he does, and he always will. And at the same time that God says, listen, there can be better for you. There can be hope for you. I don't want you to give in to our culture. I don't want you to give yourself to things that take your heart away from me. And there's some of you in this room, you're in a relationship that you need not to be. And I would say literally before the Lord, you need to be honest with them before the Lord and say, before I come back here next week, I need to deal with that relationship. For some of you are saying, God, my, my heart has been gone. In fact, I've been, I've been angry at you in some ways, God, that you haven't let life be all about me. And it's led to all these things that we see here in the scripture. And God is saying, I love you. But I love you too much to leave you where you are. Come back to me. Some of you are struggling in the marriage right now. You're struggling in a relationship. You don't know where to go. You don't know where to turn. Some of you have kind of given up. 
And I want you to know that this message today will stir up stuff for a lot of people in here. And I, I'm going to let you know and be straight up with you that, that we don't want to be like, hey, glad we stirred that all up. Have a great time. We'll see you next week. We want to give you a chance to respond. We want to give you a chance to receive some help. And so today at the end of the service, we're going to have some people uh, right over by this hallway. And, and if you need to be prayed for today, you're like, I can't leave. I need to be prayed for right now. God's stirring stuff up. And you need to be prayed for. You need help. You need hope in your situation, in your impossible situation. Then we are going to ask you to come right over here. You're going to go around to this private little room just around the back there where you can really talk a little bit and be prayed for. Some of you are like, that might be too much for me, and we want to be available to you as you're ready. So if you're struggling, we want you to write your name. Take that little welcome card out. Write your name on it. We want you to write your phone number on it and just say, hey, need some help. That's all you got to do is say, need some help. And we will follow up with you during the week. We might give you some resources. We might connect you, be a bridge to the help that you need. We want to be there for you even as a church and be there for one another. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. And I'm asking you to do that only so that you're thinking about the condition of your life. And today, we got to start. If you're a believer in the Lord, God's maybe been talking to your heart and you just want to be honest with him about what he said to you right now. But there are some of you in this room, you're like, I never knew. I never knew that Jesus died for my sin or finally the light bulb went on today or you're saying, I want the forgiveness for all my sin. I want to be washed clean. I want, I want that launderer to come through and clean me. Clean me of my guilt. Clean me of my shame. Clean me of my sin. Clean me of my deviant behavior. Whatever it is that God just wants to clean you, that you come into a relationship with him, you're saying, I want to know the God who loves me. The way that you do that is that you give your faith, your trust in what Jesus did on the cross, that that act wipes away all your sin. But you gotta accept it, you gotta receive it, so you gotta tell God, and that you do that through prayer. So if that's you today, you simply repeat after me what we're about to say. You just repeat it quietly in your heart, silently in your seat. God hears you, he knows your heart, he loves you, he created you, and he wants to know you personally. If today you'd like to receive that forgiveness, then where you're seated, you just pray this. Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my life and clean me of all my sin. I believe you died on the cross for it, that you were buried in the grave, that you rose to new life because you're God. And I ask you to make me a new creation on the inside. I want to be in relationship with you, God because today I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.